You're listening to the Global Ooj Podcast, where every week we learn about the world through the eyes of entrepreneurship with your host, Ujwal Velagapudi. I had the chance to speak with one of the leading clean tech and mobility investors in the world today. From assisting in getting a bill passed through the U.S. Congress in 2006 to increase fuel economy standards and the very first electric vehicle incentives, to being one of the very first investors and serving as a board member for Better Place, which raised nearly a billion dollars to build the world's first affordable all-electric vehicle. Michael Granoff has had an interesting perspective in the world of mobility and after angel investing, eventually found his way into the VC world by founding Maniv Mobility, officially in 2016, boasting over 30 portfolio companies from two funds, which total over $144 million. It was an interesting conversation about where they invest, the growth of the industry, and how they assist their portfolio companies. Also, be sure to check out Maniv Mobility's podcast, Anything That Moves. Welcome to the Global Ooge Podcast, Michael. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And just so uh, everybody can get a little bit of a background, even for myself, could you take us through kind of your uh, your personal background and how you had come across and started your current business today? Well, um, I could give a very long version of that, but I'll try to keep it uh, relatively uh, brief. Um, so I sometimes call myself uh, an accidental venture capitalist. I never, as many people do, I never uh, personally aspired to be a venture capitalist. Um, but I've had a, uh, an interest in the mobility space uh, for uh, close to 20 years. Uh, I live in Israel today. But um, uh, until eight years ago, most of my life, I lived in uh, the U.S. in the New York area. And um, I was a resident of Manhattan at the time of 9-11. And uh, the years that followed, I really got very curious about um, some of the underlying global phenomenon. Um, and, and, and one of the things I discovered uh, was that uh, there were a lot of uh, distortions uh, by one simple fact, which is that all of transportation effectively globally relied on a single commodity, which is oil. And um, I, I started an organization with a friend of mine who still runs it today in Washington, D.C. Um, we worked on trying to get um, U.S. government to, to take this issue seriously, to understand that uh, dependence on oil was more than an environmental issue. It was also a national security issue and a, and a macroeconomic issue. And um, we were successful uh, in, in passing legislation in uh, the middle of the last decade, or, or uh, two decades ago, it would be now, um, around 2006, 2007, um, for um, increasing the um, fuel economy in uh, cars and trucks sold in the U.S. over time. Part of that legislation also had the first in the world incentives for consumers to buy electric vehicles. And uh, I did a kind of deep dive into what it was to have electric uh, vehicles. And, um, you know, at the time, you have to remember, this was uh, before Tesla was a household name, and people associated electric vehicles with golf carts and thought these are very uh, unpowerful and unsexy vehicles uh, that certainly don't have nearly the uh, ability to fulfill um, the things we've come to depend on cars for. 
Um, but as I understood, um, actually what EVs had been conceived of previously and what they could be with the right energy storage um, and the right um, technological advances on, uh, uh, on batteries, um, I came to the conclusion that uh, electrification of ground transportation was actually inevitable. The fact that I thought it was a good thing to accelerate for all the reasons I said before um, was not even part of that. I just thought over time, um, price of oil will go up, uh, but uh, price of batteries will go down and they cross at a certain point. Actually, I thought that point was going to be a decade ago. One thing we didn't count on that um, no one really saw coming was that oil production in the U.S. was going to increase in the last decade after it had decreased for consecutive decades before that because of new types of extraction technology. But I determined that I was going to make a big bet on electric cars, and I um, uh, actually um, subsequently met two gentlemen, and um, one was a guy named Shai Agassi, and the other was a guy named Elon Musk. And um, you can probably guess that I did not pick Elon Musk, or I, uh, I, I have taken a different path. Um, but uh, Agassi had a different model for scaling electric cars that was based on building networks and putting infrastructure, and uh, that was a company that we took that we found and called Better Place, raised about a billion dollars, uh, built out a whole network of infrastructure across two countries, Israel and Denmark, and uh, ultimately did not have the staying power. Um, a lot of mistakes were made on execution. Um, which uh, there's a lot to learn from. There's a book about it. But subsequent to that, um, I was then in Israel and I uh, began to advise some startups that were looking at automotive and the intersection of automotive and technology and ultimately um, ended up um, doing some uh, individual investing, some angel investing in these companies. And then um, Israel gave birth to an entire crop, uh, hundreds of companies around automotive and mobility technology. And um, I realized that there was real opportunity there. I started talking to people about it. They got excited about it, wanted to uh, want me to invest uh, for them in that sector. That's how um, we ended up accidentally putting together a fund number one and subsequently went out and raised a second fund uh, backed by a lot of the world's large automakers um, that we're investing out of now. I'm proud to say that in our second fund, we've uh, diversified beyond um, just Israeli uh, mobility technology. We're now invested in companies in six countries. And most excitingly, the most recent investment we made was the first investment by an Israeli-based fund in a technology startup in the Arab world, and that's in the United Arab Emirates as a result of the normalization agreement that uh, our country signed just two months ago. So a very exciting time um, on uh, investing, on technology, on uh, international relations. <coughs> Oh, wow. So just to take us back in 2015, you had started MetaMobility with Fund 1 and then subsequently Fund 2. And then are you currently a part of uh, or looking to raise for that next fund or where we're in that uh, process are we today? Um, we're still investing our second fund. It's $100 million fund. We've, raised, we've invested in nine companies out of that fund so far. We still have uh, several more uh, to go and then we'll think about what we do after that. And one thing you said, Michael, was just two months ago that agreement had come in place between, you said, the Arab world and Israel. Can you go a little bit more into that? I'm not too familiar with that. Well, sure. Um, 
you know, so, you know, Israel was founded in 1948 and um, the, the Arab world um, rejected um, Israel's existence from that point forward until 1979 in Egypt. Um, signed a peace treaty with Israel. And then in 1994, Jordan, uh, another Israel's direct neighbors, signed a peace treaty. However, the other 25 or so members of the uh, Arab League um, refused to make peace with Israel, to recognize Israel, and in fact, boycotted Israel. Um, uh, and um, luckily, um, this year, all that changed pretty dramatically. And uh, in, uh, in August, it was announced, and then in September, there was a signing ceremony on the White House lawn uh, between Israel and two Arab countries, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. And subsequently, um, there have also been agreements announced with uh, several more countries, including uh, Sudan and just most recently Morocco. And uh, rumors are that there will be several more that will follow. And uh, the most important thing about this, in my mind, is that while we are very happy that we've had a long peace with Jordan and with Egypt, it's not a peace that comes with a lot of exchange. There's not a lot of uh, interstate, inter, inter, international commerce between those countries, and uh, there's not a lot of uh, interpersonal contact between. I don't, I don't uh, personally have friends, unfortunately, in in Egypt or in Jordan. However, in just a couple of months, I, I can say I, I now um, have relationships with dozens of people in in Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi and uh, and, and the, uh, the Emirates in general and, and, in the, and now also in Bahrain. And they're very excited to do business with us. Um, as I said, we invested in, in a startup in, uh, based in Dubai, operating in Abu Dhabi. And um, we're this week, uh, there's a whole, there lots large delegations from those countries here in Israel looking at uh, touring, looking at technology companies. If it wasn't for COVID, it would be even more. And there literally are, despite COVID, tens of thousands of Israelis, mostly tourists, some business people who have gone uh, now to, to Dubai. It's one of the few places uh, Israelis can now go without having to quarantine because it's considered a green country. So, um, you know, this development has been just tremendously exciting in, in 2020, which has been a challenging year for all of us. This has been, uh, in my mind, the, the biggest bright spot and, and I think portends uh, wonderful things for, for all of us for the future. Wow, that, that truly is amazing to be able to, especially as, as a neighbor, proximity-wise, relatively close, and to be able to have that, like you said, the most important thing is that exchange or at least that commercial impact and, you know, one, the culture, but also, two, the commercial aspect between two nations actually working together. And it, was that really a culmination of events? Has this been decades in the making, or was it any particular you know, uh, change in political leaders or just uh, what was that, do you think that truly triggered it or had that typical? Well, you know, um, the, the Emirates uh, are a very highly developed country. And um, even though um, some, some of the Emirates, Abu Dhabi in particular, have really been um, the beneficiaries of a lot of uh, oil wealth, um, the Emirates in general, Dubai in particular, I think has really, um, attempted to diversify their economies with tourism and industry and trade and aviation as a big one. Uh, Emirates Airlines, one of the biggest in the world, coming from uh, you know relatively small country, um, and Etihad as well. Um, so uh, these are, are, are really advanced economies, uh, as, as is Israel. And it was very unnatural that we didn't have a relationship. And 
you know, I, I think um, uh, w without getting uh, too political, um, the, uh, the Trump administration's uh, Middle East team did put, uh, took, take a very, very different approach than had been taken in the past. In the past, um, it was said very uh, uh, unequivocally that there was no way that Israel would succeed in making peace with Arab neighbors until uh, it had uh, resolved the uh, issue of the Palestinians. Um, and Israel has certainly tried uh, for decades and decades to resolve that issue unsuccessfully. Um, and, and I have my own views on um, what's the sticking points uh, have been there. Um, uh, but unfortunately, the Palestinians have uh, refused every overture we've made to attempt to uh, come to a settlement be between our peoples. And I, I know we will have to one day because we're living with each other for the long term. But, um, but what changed is that um, members of the Trump administration said, to the uh, rest of the Arab countries, are you going to continue to, to to wait and miss the opportunity that's presented to you um, by doing business with Israel? And uh, there was, you know, uh, I'd say one one brave leader in in in, in uh, the Emirates who, who was first into the water and said, you know, let's 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 do it, let's do it right, let's do more than just diplomatic relations, let's do the whole the whole thing. And I can tell you that within uh, days of the announcement, my uh, LinkedIn was flooded with requests, and I immediately understood that this was a very, very rich uh, potential partnership. Uh, I've since learned um, that it's, it's more than just a, a business uh, relationship, that, that the, there are Emiratis that are really, really interested in cultural exchange, really interested in understanding us. Uh, and uh, I think uh, Israelis have already uh, uh, shown a, a real interest in understanding uh, the, the Emiratis and the Bahrainis in particular so far. Um, so it's um, it's been uh, um, it's loomed very large in my, in my uh, personal and in my business life over the last number of months. Uh, the fact that we were able to be the first uh, fund here to invest there was was exciting, but the uh, ability to, to travel there uh, to have really daily communications with with with, with people there, it's been uh, really really wonderful, and uh, I hope it pretends great things for uh, for all of us in the future. Oh yeah, I bet that that. Absolutely is amazing. I love seeing that when, you know, you can have that shift and that connection between uh, such large groups. Uh, as far as men of mobility, what was, or I guess, what is currently um, your investment thesis when, I guess, that fund number one, how you had started to invest in some of those companies and how has that shifted? Because, you know, five years at, at least for me in, in this space, seems seems like, you know, forever ago. So has that shifted it, it, at all? It, it, and yeah. what are you looking for in the next That's a, It's a great point. Really, really uh, important question because you're absolutely right that um, the reality is when we uh, started investing five years ago, um, there was, uh, if, if your listeners are familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, um, the Gartner Group has, has, uh, has, has a thesis on how technologies, um, you know, are developed and then the public becomes aware of them and then they reach a certain crescendo of hype and excitement that they can never fulfill, at least not quickly. And so then they fall off into the trough of disillusionment. I saw this happen early in my career with the Internet, um, where in 97, 98, 99, we built up to this extreme level of excitement and 2000 came crashing down. But of course, then you went through the, what's called the plateau of productivity and, um, 
And, and obviously, the internet, the internet did that and much more, uh, as we're demonstrating with this conversation right now. But um, in mobility, the uh, analog is, uh, is self-driving cars, autonomous cars, which is what everyone associated with uh, the new mobility future five years ago. And everyone was convinced that their kids were not going to have to get driver's licenses, that the Ubers were going to soon come pick them up without drivers, and that this was the major breakthrough. And I don't want to minimize um, the importance of autonomous technology in which billions has been invested by large companies, by um, startups and, and more. Um, in fact, we have many companies, our portfolio that are related to autonomous. We have a, a company that has a highly, highly um, uh, high resolution radar uh, company that does teleoperation, which is like remote control driving that has application for autonomous cars and and several other uh, companies um, along those lines. But um, I think, um, you know, the, the idea of robotic taxis as they were understood five years ago kind of went into that gardener trough of disillusionment. And I do think it will come out and hit a plateau productivity um, sometime across this decade. I think it's going to be in lots of uh, varying forms. And I don't think you're going to have robotic taxis as a main service in major cities in the near term, but you, you already have several demonstration projects that are working quite well. And when uh, sort of the product market fit is uh, perfected and when um, people are comfortable that it's not only safe for them to, to take these vehicles, but to have them in their communities. And, and when that, and that comfort is reflected in policy through uh, their uh, uh, elected and appointed officials, then you know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll move along. But I think the more important answer to your question actually is that a lot more has happened in five years than simply watching autonomous vehicles go through this uh, shift. One of the things um, that didn't exist five years ago was the term that Horace Dedu uh, uh, founded, uh, the term micro-mobility. Uh, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with what micro-mobility is, but um, in, unless they haven't been to um, one of the major cities around the world in the last few years, they certainly know uh, what it looks like. And that's the uh, shared bikes and shared scooters that are on the streets of so many cities. And in fact, we have two companies in micromobility in our portfolio. One is the one in UAE that we just invested in, um, which is called Phoenix, um, and which is uh, scooters now deployed in Abu Dhabi and in, in, in Doha, Qatar. Uh, and in uh, at some other uh, locations throughout the, uh, the Gulf. Um, and the other is a company called Revel, which um, deploys electric mopeds on the streets of major American cities, most prominently New York City. Um, and these are vehicles that, um, first of all, operate on batteries, so there's no emissions, and which you can rent by the minute, uh, and you can take anywhere in, in the service area. And um, we found pre-pandemic in, in, in New York, especially, we found that people were really uh, loving to use these uh, mopeds uh, really in place of taking Ubers or take, taking taxis. So really replacing um, gas miles in big um, vehicles with electric miles on small form factor vehicles that are actually also fun to operate and, and less expensive um, to, to rent. And uh, during the pandemic, um, one of the things that uh, we never could have foreseen is it actually has uh, become very popular among people uh, who might not otherwise have taken them, but who are nervous about public transportation, nervous about subway and buses. We all hope 
that the vaccine um, gets distributed and is effective and that mass transit returns uh, in, in, in the coming months. But I think a lot of those people have also understood um, how fun it is to, to take a, a, a moped or even to take a scooter in other places. Um, and, uh, and I think they'll continue to do that. And I think this is one of the trends they have to watch. And I think cities, especially during COVID, have really begun to think how to redesign themselves to accommodate smaller, lightweight vehicles to make sure that it's safe and convenient to use these uh, types of vehicles in their cities. And uh, Paris just had its mayor reelected. She ran on a platform, uh, I think, of uh, taking away half the parking in Paris to make more room for lanes, for bikes, for uh, electric scooters, and so forth. Um, and you know, here in Tel Aviv, um, it's it's the best way to get around. There's no doubt about that. It's a Tel Aviv is a very congested um, city. Uh, it's, it's relatively flat, and the weather is good, and the scooters are numerous. So if I have to go to a meeting. A uh, kilometer or two from my office, uh, I got a helmet nearby, and I'll always uh, hop onto a, a scooter. And, and so, Mike, uh, sorry, Michael, uh, as far as one side, you said, you know, there's going to be the vehicles, there's going to be the scooters, there's going to be the bikes. But then, how about, you know, like you had with your uh, with the startup, the actual infrastructure. Uh, can you go through if you are investing and what that looks like and what that um, and how that exactly has played out over, let's say, the last decade since when you were working on it to today in terms of building out that infrastructure with sensor technology, with, with the networking aspect, with the communications and how that plays in conjunction with some of these um, with some of these vehicles that are actually. Well, there's lots out. of different types of infrastructure, people use it to refer to many different things. Um, what we were doing a better place a decade ago was infrastructure for electric cars in particular, and that included the ability to charge them. And in our case, um, the ability to switch batteries, which is the controversial thing that we did in that startup, which I still think actually was the right idea. But um, unfortunately, our, our, our failure, I think, marked that as an idea um, and uh, instead, we've gotten really uh, kind of this um, uh, space race on, um, on, on battery range for electric cars, which I actually think is bad for electric cars because most people don't need four or five, 600 miles of range. They need 150 miles. And if, uh, if most electric cars aspired uh, simply to that, then, uh, uh, then electric cars would already be much cheaper. Um, and, 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 and more efficient because they wouldn't be carrying around the weight of extra battery they don't need. But that's not what you ask. Uh, infrastructure. So there's electric vehicle infrastructure. There'll be a lot more of it. Um, uh, it'll be in different forms. It'll be in a slow charging in garages and in fast charging, um, some in urban areas, but most of that uh, along, along highways. Tesla's obviously built out their own supercharger network. We're seeing other networks that I think uh, are going to get built for a variety of electric cars to, to support really all, all uh, cars with plugs. Um, the Biden administration in, in the U.S. now has pledged to, to build a half a million um, charge points uh, across the country. That'll be important. Uh, so that's one form of infrastructure. I, um, when we talk about micro-mobility, what you really need is a different form of infrastructure, and that's mostly bike lanes or similar protected lanes that allow people to safely transit in lightweight, un unprotected uh, vehicles. 
Um, we're seeing more, more of that getting built out from, from New York and Paris, as I said, here in Tel Aviv and many other places. And I think COVID has accelerated that trend. And then there's the other types of infrastructure you referred to. Um, and yeah, there are you know increasing uh, sensors, cameras, other things around cities. Um, uh, most of that, most of that kind of digital technology is not that difficult to deploy, and um, we have some companies. Uh, Nexar comes to mind that are um, uh, putting cameras in, in cars to um, bring data about cities and, and about uh, uh, vehicles and traffic flow and, and, and all the rest. And um, you know, I think uh, we'll see more of all of the above. Hmm. If there, if you had to choose one company out of your current portfolio that you think would make, if if they do succeed and if they you know hit their hit their targets within the next couple of decades, what company do you think would make the greatest, most disruptive impact? That's a asking me the which 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 of my kids I like the best. Uh, look, right, right, look. right. Or is there one, maybe not a startup, but maybe one uh, particular idea that you can share? I, I think these some of these themes we've been talking about, which many companies across our portfolio actually uh, are uh, are part of. Um, the themes are um, diversity of uh, vehicle types and diversity of um, business models for uh, particularly urban mobility. And that's really, uh, I would say, if there's one thesis that um, underlies what we do, it's that. It's, uh, it's that um, people used cars, uh, sedans, SUVs, four wheels, internal combustion engine. I, I, buy one, I buy a new one every four or five years. I, I make sure that it's got room enough to be able to take the once a year trip up to the mountains but then I also drive it into the city center for work every day, pick up the kids from school, get, do the shopping. Um, what, what we now have uh, because of the digital world that we're living in is the ability to um, sort of modularize those pieces and to um, buy instead of buying uh, vehicles and people will still buy vehicles, but I think maybe not as many. And what people buy more of is trips. Um, so, you know, I need to go a mile and a half. Uh, maybe in the past I would have uh, driven or maybe I would have taken a cab, but maybe now I can take a scooter or, 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 or a, um, uh, a ride hail vehicle or um, an electric ride hail vehicle. Or, um, you know, I, I think it's the diversity um, that, it, you know, we, um, we, we have a broad portfolio, a lot of companies that they're, they're very different in type, many of them but they're all um, contributing in, in, in different ways to um, bringing this um, diversity of options to, to the streets so that um, uh, mobility is not fully dependent on oil, so that it uh, is not out of reach for people who may not be able to afford a car, um, and um, that it give, makes it more convenient and actually in many instances more fun for people to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you had mentioned, I believe it was six different countries that you've invested in so far. What? Uh, that's correct. Fund one, actually, it was just U.S. and Israel, but we've added four countries in fund two. Fund two. Okay. Okay, great. And so when across your entire portfolio, how 
has, or if at all, has the company's vision changed or differed or has there been any slight nuance with all six of these or uh, in specific because of their current location or the founder, founding team's location, has that played a part at all with uh, maybe the exact same uh, yeah. scooter yeah. app, uh, scooter-based company that you saw in New York and maybe two three different other countries because of their local regulations, because of the uh, consumer profile? Has yeah, that changed? Um, you know, most funds um, are, tend to invest um, close to home. Uh, but most funds also tend to invest across a wide range of uh, types of companies. Um, we're kind of the opposite. Um, I don't know much about uh, fintech or uh, cybersecurity, aside from automotive, of which we have two, um, or um, you know, uh, SaaS software or medical devices or anything else. I know, uh, I hope, I know a lot about mobility. And I think uh, what works in the streets of Tel Aviv uh, may not work everywhere in the world, but it'll work a lot of places that share some of the same characteristics. Um, and, um, and um, you know, the technologies that underlie uh, highly automated vehicles are, um, you know, going to be uh, going to come to, um, to, to the uh, vehicle manufacturers from uh, wherever they can find the best technologies. And so we do the same. We cast a wide net geographically, but we have uh, a very narrow focus in funding companies that will contribute to a safer, more secure, um, uh, more accessible uh, and cleaner um, set of transportation uh, solutions for consumers. Okay, great. And actually going back to your investing style or uh, just how Madden Mobility came to be, how did that you know, if you can walk us through kind of 2014, 2015, because you said you were, uh, you were investing in companies as an angel. So that's one aspect, but then how did that actually transfer into building out this company, uh, as VC firm? And can you walk us through some of those steps of, all right, well, I'm doing it as an angel, you know, let's do it as a, as a VC firm and raise capital. So, uh, how was that raising process and how were, uh, you able to build out that team specifically for? Well, you know, um, at, at the beginning, I was doing the angel investing. Um, um, I, I brought on uh, a couple people to, to help with that. Um, we ended up hosting here in Israel a um, bunch of delegations. Um, we brought them over uh, to introduce them to startups to just sort of get uh, people uh, to, to get to know each other. And in, in, in some of those groups and in other uh, forums where I, where I met folks that I knew and folks I was introduced to, the, you know, the, the more that they understood um, just how broad uh, the opportunity set was in the intersection of um, Israeli technology and automotive and mobility, the more they said, um, you know, we want access to that. And um, as I looked at ways to um, sort of leverage my angel investing, to be able to help other people, the structure that made the most sense was the traditional venture route. I resisted it for a while, frankly, but um, I'm, I'm glad that I was persuaded to, to go down that route and to, 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 to turn it into a, a more conventional fund because we really had the opportunity, I think, to, um, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, invest in some great companies. That's you. 
And how was that? Did that capital raising aspect did that come naturally because you had hosted all these people? Well, uh, you had shown well, them I had, the value. I had investing. I started out doing it with my own money, so people were basically just saying, "Can I um, get a share in that?" And um, that's uh, really how how it how it started. And going back to your startup, how how because you said you raised almost a billion dollars for that company, how did that process kind of help you with with what you're doing right now or has it at all? Because yeah. you've been in that position and then now you're on the other side well, of the table. I, um, there were a lot of people um, that uh, were involved in, 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 in raising money for a better place. Um, um, I did very famously um, get uh, the first large check. It's the, there's a famous book about Israel's innovation system called Startup Nation. And if you, if you read the prologue to that book, which I think the authors and myself kind of wish wasn't there because it's a reminder of a uh, better place that didn't work out, but um, it also tells that story. But um, yeah, you know, uh, there there's a compelling um, story around uh, mobility, uh, the mobility future. I think we're seeing it play out in many places now, including in um, the, um, the SPAC market, the, the special purpose acquisition corporations that have uh, uh, proliferated uh, on Wall Street this year and have uh, found uh, mobility startups to merge with by, uh, by the dozen, really. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of just uh, the, the most recent example uh, of um, the uh, potential that this whole sector has. Yeah, that is that is pretty amazing, especially this year with those specs. As far as what you see, because right now you've invested in the six countries, how, uh, or maybe if you can share some of those those countries, and then I'm I'm trying to see, do you see the same growth, same innovation coming from developing and emerging nations, or has it primarily been in developed countries where? infrastructure is there, uh, whatever that word means, uh, from a networking standpoint, the actual, you know, roads and that sort of infrastructure, or the capital is there, the tech ecosystem is there. Uh, have you seen pitches or even viewed countries or even invested in other markets that are slowly yeah, on the look, rise? Look, um, I think uh, people have been for decades now trying to figure out what is the magic sauce of Silicon Valley? that um, can foster innovation in other places. And I think uh, second on the list uh, in, in basically all estimations, at least over the last 15 years, has been Israel. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. The Startup Nation book goes into some of the, some of the reasons why that might be true. But I think uh, most important thing is that, you know, once you sort of hit some level of critical mass, it becomes self-fulfilling and it becomes something that people do and it becomes a place people want to be. and. Uh, so that's what we've been lucky enough to create here, and I hope we'll continue to build on. But I definitely see um, new emerging innovation ecosystems, and the most recent one I've seen is, is in Dubai, um, where we made this one investment, but where we see other potential uh, investments for us and, and definitely for others in other uh, sectors of technology. Um, and, um, you know, India is, is, is a place we haven't yet uh, made investments, but... Uh, we see lots and lots of activity there, and it's getting more and more interesting. Um, and uh, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of talent there. 
Um, as an American, um, I'm frustrated by the fact that um, U.S. government has not done more to encourage, as we always did in the past, um, really exciting and talented entrepreneurs to set up shop in the U.S. Um, it's well known, of course, if you go through all the great com companies of the last uh, generation, they're really either immigrants or, or, or children of immigrants who, who founded them. And a Startup Nation book actually goes into a whole chapter on why that uh, is likely the case. And it, it bothers me that uh, U.S. policy has stymied that, but it has meant that this talent has stayed um, uh, in, in, its, in its home location for the most part, which are, are places all over the world. And I think that's contributing to uh, kind of a diversification of innovation um, geographies. And uh, we're, we're in some ways the beneficiaries of it because a lot of these places are nearer by to us here in Israel than uh, Silicon Valley is. So, um, you know, um, that's that's kind of the good part is that uh, there's innovation coming from lots more places these days. Uh, um, but um, I still think that there is a value to, to having hubs. Um, Silicon Valley is the biggest by far. Um, I think Israel is the second biggest, but I think we'll see a lot more uh, thrive uh, throughout the world. Can you talk a little bit more about Israel being that second hub? How has that shift? I mean, maybe you've only been in Israel, you said, living there for the better part of the last decade, but how maybe in your prior visits, how has that shift changed? And how is it today as far as, you know, someone looking to go and get into any sort of startup as far as raising capital, finding the network uh, to get a co-founder, uh, to having advisors and building out that team? How does that look today as opposed to maybe 15? Well, um, you know, as I said, Israel, um, up till now, hasn't had the benefit of a uh, nearby ecosystem with, with, with which to trade. And it's a small country now, up to about 9 million, we're growing, but it's still not a market that um, entrepreneurs um, aim for. Um, and so that one of the consequences of those two factors is that every, every Israeli starting a company has had to think uh, very, very shortly after um, figuring out what they wanted to do, how to um, go global and how to reach uh, global markets and how um, in many, many instances to set up a business development office in the US um, uh, or in Europe uh, or both. And, um, and uh, so, you know, uh, as um, technology has gotten more digital and as the tools to do business have, have gotten uh, more robust, um, you know, it, it has obviously played uh, right into Israel's um, core competencies. And the digitization technologies uh, in, in advanced software and sensors um, in automotive, in cybersecurity, all these things have applied themselves to my sector, to mobility. And that's why we had in the last number of years this explosion of innovation around uh, automotive mobility technology in Israel. But um, obviously, the Israel innovation ecosystem is much broader than that. Um, and um, really everything around around these uh, th these core competencies in, in, in software and cyber and sensors and um, uh, SaaS uh, systems um, uh, has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, coming out of uh, Israel now for the better part of two decades. Um, and it's uh, it's exciting to uh, to see. And 
just curious when you're kind of going through that with a lot of the startups that you've seen that you're investing in on the flip side is there a market or do you see multiple markets which you could share for your traditional businesses that may not need capital or uh you know vc money that can be sustainable that can be bootstrapped or relatively bootstrapped uh with maybe very little capital and to build out you know for example one thing that i'm thinking of in my mind are auto shops where all right there's auto shops catering specifically to electric vehicles um and so kind of on that sense a uh, more traditional path what auxiliary businesses within this sphere do you think will change that are uh, that we don't have today that uh you know a lot of mom and pop owners are going to be well well um the, the specific example you gave i wouldn't i wouldn't encourage invest, uh, investors or entrepreneurs because um the, the nice thing about electric vehicles they don't need a lot of service so um you don't uh, need to have the same kind of network of uh of auto uh, sh uh repair shops that you have uh today however your broader point is is right on and in fact uh, i think what we're seeing is the um ability of and, and this we see in the mobility sector for sure the ability of digital tools to reach into traditional legacy businesses and actually uh, help strengthen them and we've seen this i think um particularly acutely during the COVID crisis because um, mom and pop shops that you described um, have really you know, been forced for their livelihood to be able to figure out how to deliver. And they've been able to do that right at the moment when there are a lot of companies um, that are um, providing digital tools to enable delivery um, to all sorts of small businesses. Um, I look out the window uh, where I am now and, and you'll see two or three uh, companies uh, up and down all day long, delivering food, delivering other things, um, and um, you know it, it, it opens up a, a whole uh, different um, sales channel for for lots of businesses, um, which they've obviously desperately needed in, in months where they haven't been able to open in person this year. Um, but I think you know there are there are lots of other examples, and I and I think digitization technologies uh, have. Um, taking over uh, information communications are taking over mobility and, and they're not done yet. Right. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. It's, it'll be interesting to see how all those companies do shift as, you know, like you said, all these auto shops, a, a lot of these other types of businesses that are servicing or catering to the automotive world or some of these mobility companies today and how those shift in the next five, 10, yeah, yeah. 20 years. Uh, as far as your the actual fund and the business of venture capital, uh, would you be able to go a little bit into that as far as how it's structured, how um, you know, kind of the operations of it, uh, actually receiving some of these some of these pitches from interested founders? how it's vetted throughout your team and then uh, thereafter once you actually invest how that relationship looks so so um you know we uh, as a fund we raised money from uh, basically two types of parties all, all those parties are looking for a return on their investment they're looking to get more money back in the future than they give to us obviously um and some of those are are, are simply uh, ordinary um 
um, financial investors that are just looking for that return and are betting that we'll be able to give them uh, more money back than if they put that same money into the stock market or into bonds or something else. I hope that turns out to be true, but in this business, it does take a lot of years to actually prove that. Um, and then uh, the other type of uh, people that give us money are strategics. Like I said, we have many automakers that are investors in the fund. Um, they want to watch the technology through our eyes. They want to have access to early stage technologies um, that hopefully they can uh, get an eye on uh, before their competition. And uh, particularly, I think us being here in Israel, where, where there's been so much innovation that we talked about, um, they, they had a particular interest in, in, in following um, our, um, our fund. Um, and, you know, then we, we take those uh, financial commitments from all those investors, and then we go out and find companies. And that's really the day-in, day-out work that we do here. We get um, uh, sometimes upwards of 100 companies a month that come uh, through our doors, uh, either either find us on, on the web or uh, through uh, uh, individual um, networks and connections. And like I said, uh, started out, most of those were right here in Tel Aviv and in broader Israel. Um, and then uh, more recently, it's become very, very global. And this, this year, I think it's uh, accelerated the globalness of it, ironically, because there's no travel, which ordinarily I do plenty of. But um, now, um, you know, uh, when, when there's no in-person meetings, it's uh, the same experience to um, speak to a company that's five blocks away as it is around the globe. So we've uh, not slowed down in looking at companies all year long. We've made investments and um, we're going to continue to do that. Um, but, um, you know, anybody who's out there who has a, a great idea for a, a mobility startup, um, you know, we're, we're the address. And how's that relationship look once invested or once uh, the capital is deployed and invested in? So we worked very, very closely with our portfolio companies in their first several years of business. Um, most of the time, we're actually the only investors at the seed stage of the company. Uh, other times, others come in, but we lead. And then we, um, um, we're in touch with those companies uh, in a formal way on uh, usually a monthly basis in the early going and sometimes a little less frequently. Informal basis could be um, every day uh, in, uh, in texting groups where we're um, responding to the news of the day, uh, answering questions uh, on, on, on products and strategy uh, on markets. Um, so, um, you know, uh, again, you know, I wouldn't know how to do this uh, for uh, any other kind of business, but when it comes to uh, mobility and automotive, you know that's where we specialize, and so hopefully we can we can give guidance uh, that 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 really helps these companies uh, uh, get the product market fit right uh, quickly and 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 move to scale. And within that specialty, is it heavily reliant upon you, or have you built out your team where you've got? folks that are technical experts that are experts within have, a, a certain field yeah. and really can we have a, a team provide of nine sources. that includes, includes uh, six uh, investment professionals um uh, as as well as a function uh, around um uh information um content and uh and, and and news within the mobility sector so we try to keep uh, all all of us on the team um um, very much uh, at the highest level and the most current thinking um, in the in the sector. Um, 
Uh, we talk about it all the time between us. We exchange uh, news of the day um, uh, daily, um, and um, and and we we've got our own podcast, uh, which people are welcome to subscribe to our newsletter. Um, all this can be found on our website at maniv.com, M-A-N-I-V. And, um, you know, um, all, all that contributes, hopefully, to making us uh, better investors and better um, stewards of the uh, portfolio companies that we help. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Once again, thank you so much, Michael, for taking the time and to walk through this entire uh just all these questions that i've been having but i absolutely do love the space that you're working in and and especially that you've had your career in so um and to be able to do that across so many different countries is amazing and uh what you shared just two months ago having the opportunity now to participate with so many other nations i think that's even more amazing and beautiful for the coming year so yeah absolutely thank you very much for the opportunity Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. Please do leave a comment on your thoughts about today's episode and make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest on the Global Ouge. Or if you already have, please share with a friend that you think might enjoy. 